Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here for the Know Your Foe episode this week against the, the Indianapolis Colts uh, coming to town on Monday Night Football. Here to talk to us about it is Kevin Bowen. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed this last year and happy to help out again. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I know you're a busy man, but uh, let's uh, let's get right to it. Uh, let's talk about, uh, first of all, where your work is and where folks can find that. Yeah, K Bowen ten seventy on Twitter, uh, B O W E N, and then uh, host a morning show here in Indianapolis from seven to ten a.m. every morning on uh, one hundred seven five The Fan. So if you guys are looking for that, just uh, shoot me a DM or something, and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. Yeah, we have one hundred five seven The Fan here in Baltimore. I'm sure they're probably <laughs> related uh, stations, but that's that's kind of cool. Uh, it, Let's review the offseason a little bit. The biggest acquisition, of course, we know. But but take us through some of the players that were acquired by the Colts this act, this offseason. Yeah, obviously nothing gets bigger than the trade for Carson Wentz. Um, you know, with Philip Rivers retiring, they felt the need to, you know, want to kind of find this balance between long-term and short-term. And, and I do feel like Wentz, you know, probably 
achieves that. We'll see how well he ends up playing this year. And obviously the history with Frank Reich is well documented there. Um, offensively, I'd say the other big name was Eric Fisher. Um, signing him at left tackle and missed the first game of the year, come back from that Achilles. Uh, to be honest, he's been a, a pretty big weak spot the last couple of weeks for this team. So I think it's something to keep an eye on as he, you know, is still really only about nine, 10 months removed from that torn Achilles. Um, other guys offensively, that's really it. They drafted a tight end in the fourth round, Kylan Granson out of SMU. Mm-hmm. Hasn't done much to this point. Resigned Marlon Mack, resigned T.Y. Hilton. Hilton has yet to play this year at receiver and Mack. Um, is on the trade block right now and really is a pretty non-factor in the reps he's gotten. Uh, defensively, Quiddy Pay, their first-round pick out of Michigan. Um, I know a lot of people probably know him just college football-wise or just draft-wise. Um, injured his hamstring a couple, well, I guess originally week one, uh, played through it, and then injured it against Tennessee in week three, did not play last week. Um, not too effective when he's been in the lineup there. Um trying to think linebackers they let anthony walker uh go to cleveland in, in the offseason he's kind of more of a run fit linebacker so uh darius Leonard and bobby okereke uh two very sideline to sideline guys lateral movement guys and then uh in, in the secondary uh, didn't really do a whole lot back there either uh continuity was kind of the name of the game on defense they did lose justin houston obviously to baltimore and then Danico autry a three technique uh, up front, you know, kind of an exterior guy on rundowns, interior guy on pass downs, a veteran presence. I do feel like they've missed him a little bit here early in the season. But, yeah, for the most part, they brought back about 19 starters, Ken. Uh, didn't do a whole lot draft-wise. Their second-round pick, Dayo Adengbo, Torres Achilles as well. During the draft process, he remains on the physically unable to, uh, to perform list. Their third-rounder was part of the Wentz deal. So mm-hmm. just not – they've never been big in free agency – and the draft impact day one, not as abundant as it's been in years past. Okay. Well, that's a, that's always a bummer for Colts fans to, to, to have that. Colts have been certainly one of the really good drafting teams uh, for about a decade, and there are more uh, that they, they really did an excellent job, and the Ravens and, and Colts honestly competing for a lot of players. Uh, tell us, uh, long-run cap situation, where are the Colts right now with, with Wentz here and their future then at quarterback and in other positions? Yeah, things have really changed. You know, right before the start of the season, they gave big extensions to uh, that 2018 draft class, which was an absolute grand slam by Chris Ballard. Darius Leonard, uh, $99 million over five years for him. Braden Smith, uh, forget those numbers off the top of my head. I want to say it was around 18 or 19 a year, though, for him at right tackle. Um, he's been hurt for the last three weeks, actually, and he's a big injury to watch this week for the Monday Nighter. Um, so their cap situation right now is really, really changed. The Ryan Grigson era, the GM before, um, just a horrific drafting regime. Um, really no one of note has reached second contracts. Ryan Kelly, their center, probably the mm-hmm. only one, uh, non Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton division, you know, way back. Um, so this is something that the Ballard regime realized that, you know, they had to flip this roster over a whole lot. And then the draft, they're now into that 2018 draft class. 2017, not a great draft um, for Ballard and company. But um, they, they, their roster building, Ken, is interesting. They've invested at some spots that I don't think you know, is normal roster building, or at least today's roster mm-hmm. building. You know, they're paying an where, off-ball where linebacker. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, uh, they're paying an offensive guard and Nelson, you know, massive money when that extension is due here very soon. They're paying Ryan, Ryan Kelly at center big time money. So 
Um, you know, when you think about the passing positions in the NFL, quarterback, left tackle, cornerback, again, those are the positions you think top dollar and the Colts just don't have a lot invested um, into those spots. I mean, Nelson is a fantastic player, but I'm, I, I tend to agree with you that, that it's a um, the easy thing about GM is to say you need great players at every position and go, yeah, we need an inside linebacker, you get an inside linebacker and you pay him. The hard thing is really sitting down as a GM and saying, OK, our scheme and the way we play football, where can we afford to economize? You know, can yeah. we afford not to pay wide receivers? Can we afford not to pay interior offensive linemen or off-ball linebackers? But they're the, they're the you know, some key spots where you could save. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that spills over to draft capital as well. I think teams uh, over-draft capitalize at certain positions. And I've been an outspoken person who doesn't really think the Ravens spending two high draft picks at inside linebacker recently was a good idea. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I agree yeah. with you completely on that. And it's just going to be – it's going to complicate the books a little bit moving forward. You know, you could point to Kansas City is probably the gold standard of it. And you look at what they've had at quarterback, left tackle, a wide receiver, throw Travis Kelsey in there, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, even when they've had a strong edge presence or Chris Jones, if you want to call him that, um, in their Super Bowl runs. You know, that's really about four positions that they're just elite at. And in today's NFL, with how the game is called and how the game – called not only play play calling wise but how the game is officiated um those positions mean more now the colts have choose chosen to be built more through the trenches they traded up for a running back in the second round and jonathan taylor so they're a little bit different than again most teams and we'll see how it pays off here moving forward all right uh you mentioned a number of current injuries and in what you went through but but is the colts Injury situation anywhere near as serious as the Ravens right now. I know Quentin Nelson is probably on the shelf for this game, right? Correct. Yeah, he's on injured reserve. Just missed last week, so he's got two more games. I said Hilton earlier yet to make his season debut. (laughs) I don't know if anyone falls in the Ravens category. Mm -hmm. I can, but I I will say the Colts have been pretty banged up. You know, Braden Smith, the right tackle, missed three games. They had three defensive starters out last week. Uh, Quiddy Pay, Rocky Seen, who's been up and down corner, and then Kari Willis, kind of a physical safety. So, uh, we'll watch those four, those three, and then Smith. Doesn't sound like Hilton's going to be back. Um, no, uh, Wentz looks healthy um, to me, healthier, I should say. Did not look healthy at all. I didn't think he should have played week three against Tennessee with uh, he sprained both ankles. But mm-hmm. I thought he looked about 80, 90% last week. So uh, with the extra day this week, he should be you know pretty close to 100%, you would think. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's go. Let's go to Carson Wentz right away and just talk about his fit. Uh, what strengths and weaknesses does he bring to the table? How does he work with this Colts offense? Yeah, you know he's not the quick rhythm guy that Philip Rivers was, um, but at the same time, he got to play to Carson's strengths, and that's the pros of it. Is a few more big plays. The cons of it is he's going to hold on to the ball um, a little bit longer. Um, he's been hit, uh, I think, more than any other quarterback in the league through four weeks. And again, some of that is he's holding on to the ball. Um, uh, but I also think there's not a very dynamic wideout group in terms of creating separation early in routes. Um, but Wentz has done an extraordinary job protecting the football. Um, he's thrown one interception in four games. The one interception was a shovel pass on a play that Aaron Donald blew up um, against the Rams in week two. So I, I can't even tell you many uh, turnover-worthy balls, really, mm-hmm. that Wentz has had. It's not like they've had a bunch of DBs dropping interceptions and you know those can kind of be fluky, but uh, I thought Wentz has protected it really well. I thought Sunday was probably his best game of the season against Miami. Seventy-five uh, percent over seven yards per pass attempt, and that's efficiency. That's production that you know the Colts sign up for certainly on a weekly basis. And then he he took a few chances in the fourth quarter. Again, I thought the playbook was a little bit more open 
uh, considering his health was improving there as well. Um, so, you know, Wentz is not on the list of top three, five, hell, maybe even top 10 reasons why the Colts are one and three at this point. Uh, it hasn't been a plus, it hasn't been an a, but I think you give him a solid B, maybe even a high B, uh, considering the run game hasn't been as consistent, the offensive line hasn't dealt with injuries mm-hmm. as well as you would like. Um, so, yeah, that's how Wentz has performed so far. Well, let's go through the, the state of the offensive line. That's always something that would just take us from left to right about who the players are. Uh, it's an interesting offensive line, to be sure, in terms of having some quality players and some unusual kind of uh, trait characteristics among them. Yeah, you know, um, the left tackle is Eric Fisher, who we talked about earlier, uh, missed the opener. Has played since, um, just a little bit up and down. Jalen Phillips, I thought, really had his way with Eric Fisher, the rookie out of Miami, uh, for long, long stretches on Sunday. Again, towards the toward the Achilles in the AFC title game. So the fact that he's out there right now is pretty remarkable. And he talked last week, you know, the final 10% with Achilles. I don't know how often, well, you guys are now dealing with some, but how often you guys have, have dealt with in the past. But, you know, that final 10% from a quickness explosion standpoint uh, can be the hardest to get. Obviously, Nelson at left guard is not in the lineup. So Chris Reed, uh, left guard, played really well uh, last week. Uh, comes over from Carolina, started 14 games for the Panthers last year. Um, you know, just kind of a hard-nosed guy that, that I felt like um, when he was needed during training camp when Nelson wasn't in the lineup either, dealing with a foot injury, uh, played pretty well. Ryan Kelly at center, I don't think has lived up to the contract this year. Um, right guard is Mark Glowinski been a really durable player for them for the past three years if everyone's healthy on the o-line they'd probably call glowinski the weak spot um Mm -hmm. and then at right tackle it's really been a dumpster fire um with brayton smith out they've played a couple of guys there julian davenport and matt Pryor. um i I honestly think priors look better in stretches but um they've stuck with davenport in starting lineup and there's a reason why you know houston and miami both parted ways with him um Pryor's a guy they traded for from Philly just before the start of the season. And I guess maybe playbook-wise, you don't feel like he's totally up to speed, but he's a guy that if Braden Smith misses this game, uh, I'd be putting Pryor there. So that's the biggest injury for me to watch is Braden Smith this week, considering how much Baltimore blitzes, what they do from a front standpoint. Um, you got to have Braden Smith in the lineup, I think, to have any sort of hope for consistent offensive success. All right. So the Ravens, of course, have uh, a, a long pass rusher in Adafi Owe, 34 and a half inch arms. has been a nightmare on first contact for uh, a lot of teams. Um, Braden Smith, a shorter arm tackle, really unusual now in the league to have a tackle with 32 and a quarter inch arms. I'm not aware, I'm not aware of another. Doesn't mean there isn't one somewhere that's that's uh, play. Actually, Liam Eichenberg might be almost that short. Yeah, he was drafted to be a guard, Smith, and just mm-hmm. crazy stuff happened that all of a sudden they need him at right tackle as a rookie, and, and he's performed pretty well. But yeah, that mm-hmm. is a clear kind of oh yeah, that dude's playing in the interior in the NFL. Right, he's been a quality lineman, I think, for mm-hmm. for three years. You know, so you, you look at that, and and it's it's just strange to me. He's, he's the exception rather than the rule, though. Sure. Arm like the Ravens have really strict arm length rules about who they'll draft but uh but yeah we we uh noticed that and he's always the the name that comes up as a quality guy uh let's talk about the wide receivers uh, tell us a little bit about what each of them brings to the offense yeah i'd say the best wide out or the most feared one is michael Pittman. um that is michael Pittman's son uh the mm-hmm. former nfl running back and the thing i always say about Pittman is um he went to usc but don't think usc pretty boy um, think that he is the son of a 10-year running back. You watch Michael Pittman with the ball in his hands 
and there is a um you know n- no fear of his body whatsoever and he's six four two twenty so that's not something I think you typically get at wideout and some of the taller guys I think can play a little soft and not use that frame I think he used it really well the Colts just want to get him touches uh, underneath route stuff screen stuff see if he can make some plays with the ball in his hands I think he had a couple of those in the game last year I'm trying to think back to that meeting uh, but again he's been the most consistent wide out for this team without Hilton. The other guy that'll play a lot is number 14, Zach Pascal. Very reliable. I'm sure some fantasy football owners probably, you know, if you're in deep leagues, you've seen Pascal pop up with a touchdown or two and you're like, who is this guy? Uh, great run blocker. Um, just very reliable, kind of old faithful, um, you know, from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett to Philip Rivers and now to uh, Carson Wentz. All these guys have had a lot of trust in him. Uh, number one is Paris Campbell. Um Second round pick out of Ohio State a couple years ago. His career has been marred by injuries. He probably has four catches on the year, maybe. And all four are way too traditional whiteout E for me. And, and, you know, just think like, you know, curls and just kind of like basic wide receiver routes. You know, Campbell ran the fastest 40 of anybody at the combine wide receiver wise back in 2019. Uh, he needs touches with open field in front of him. And the Colts just haven't gotten him that this year. So, I think it's it's an absolute must that they get Campbell in more of those kind of here's the ball, go do something with it sort of situations there. Um, the other wideouts that maybe see a little action, Mike Strawn's a rookie, a big, big wideout from Division Two, number 17. Um, kind of had some playbook issues early on, so his snaps have gone down. And I would say the other two for this week to keep an eye on, Ashton Doolin, number 16, really good special teams player, speed guy, but does have a nice frame. They like to give give him a touch or two a game. And then DeMichael Harris, they might not play him, but he's number 12, kind of a jitterbug guy uh, who they occasionally will throw in there and give a few touches to. It can, I couldn't hear you r- right there. My fault. I was on yep. mute. Talk to the tight ends, if you would, real quick. And, and I will have some scheme questions that I'll, I'll hit on after that. Yeah, the tight ends. Jack Doyle, number 84. Again, old faithful there. Um, had a back injury last week, so really was kind of emergency duty, but then made a huge catch in the fourth quarter when they needed it. Um, just pretty reliable. Uh, you know, he won't wow you if, you know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts if Doyle <laughs> beats you in the passing game. Um, the guy to fear the most is Mo Ali Cox and two touchdowns last week. Wentz literally just threw a jump ball in the end zone, just purely 50 50 ball. And Ali Cox went over Eric Rowe, who's a big defender at 6'1, 200, yeah. and made a play. And frankly, with how the Colts have been so poor in the red zone and goal to go this year, I don't know why that isn't used once every game, really. And yeah, you know, the percentage of you completing that might not be 70 30 or whatever, but. You know, you know DBs are going to get grabby in those situations, so it's a great opportunity to draw a flag as well. But Allie Cox, former VCU basketball player, uh, tough to tackle in the open field as well. And then I mentioned him earlier, the rookie Kylan Granson out of SMU. I think very like hybrid. Um, Trey Burton is the guy the Colts had last year. He's now gone. Um, they want to line him up over some different spots and a little bit more of a speed tight end. We haven't seen him utilize much really at all. I think just a target or two and one catch, but that's the other name, number 83, to keep an eye on. Okay, so scheme-wise, what I want to ask you about, the Ravens' big weakness is at inside linebacker in terms of ability to cover, ability to tackle, ability to stop the run. It's, it's, it's been such a mystery because Patrick Queen has really 
if anything, he's probably taken a small step backward this year from what was not really an impressive rookie year. He had a good number of splash plays, though, as a rookie. And this year, even those have really gone away. And now he's, he's just he's missing a lot of tackles. He's making a lot of mistakes in coverage. And, you know, the Ravens are having to, having to work through a lot of pain there with, when he's basically on the field all the time. The question I would have is wh- how would the Colts best attack weak inside linebackers? Would we see a fair amount of play action from, from Wentz or would we see a lot of crossing routes from wide receivers or power running? What would you expect? Yeah, I would say more on the crosser and play action stuff. Um, you know, the power running hasn't been as effective. Their runs that they sprung Taylor on last week, a little bit more perimeter off the left side, both of them actually with uh, the, those two runs. Um, but I would say one thing the Colts utilize is Naeem Hines is not a name we've talked about yet. Number 21 out of the backfield, very versatile. Um, the Colts also paid him this past offseason. I should have mentioned his name. Um, but if you watch their touchdown to Taylor on Sunday, Hines is in the backfield with him, motions out to the right. They fake kind of that quick hitter to the right. Um, I Actually, I don't, even, I don't know if Wentz even faked it. They might have just motioned about. That kind of sucked Jerome Baker out of the middle of the field, and then boom, they stuck it in the belly of Taylor. You kind of get Miami's defense flowing to, towards that window dressing, and then you're able to have Taylor running downhill. Um you know, Carson Wentz is known as a great seam ball thrower. That's probably one of his strengths. We haven't seen a whole lot of that. I, I think the Colts would like to utilize Mo Ali Cox down the seam a little bit and kind of test those linebackers. And then when I brought up earlier, guys like Campbell, guys like Michael Pittman on crossers, I just think in different they're, they're different body types, but I think you both the, the Colts want to see them in the open field. I do think a weakness of Carson early in the year has been kind of the underneath route um, accuracy. You know, balls that you know a little bit more timing balls, and, mm-hmm. and you know he hasn't practiced a whole lot, probably a dozen practices, and I'm talking about training camp included. With that, um, slant back shoulder. Yeah, I, I, I would say um, I'd say more like slant crossers. Not a whole lot of back shoulder stuff we've seen so far, um, but I would just say, you know, when you look at Wentz's completion percentage, it, it's a it's a good number. Uh, I take out week three because he just he shouldn't have been on the field. He was so banged mm-hmm. up. Um, but then you watch some of the throws he misses and you're like, oh, wow, he's missing those. You know, you, you, you wouldn't think those are the balls that he's missing. He's missed Pittman a couple times on, you know, a little play action, quick hitters in the red zone when you suck the linebackers in right over the top. He's missed Pittman a couple times there. Um, so I think those are, you know, probably a weakness for Baltimore. But right now it's a timing thing that the Colts don't have nailed down either. Okay. All right. Uh, now, do they prefer to run out of 11, 21, 12? What, what personnel group do they use most frequently? Yeah, I would say this year it's probably been a little bit more 11. You know, I think we, we always think about Frank Reich and, you know, loves multiple tight ends and all of that. I, I don't know. I, I would need to dive deeper into that, to be honest with you, Ken. But um, I haven't seen as much of the dual tight end sets. They don't feel, I think, totally comfortable with the rookie Granson in there as a blocker. Um, and then Doyle's been a little bit banged up. So um, not as much. I, I do like kind of the two-back system they've mm-hmm. used with Hines and Taylor on the field at the same time. Both can catch the ball to the backfield, different body types, though. That's something they've had success with recently and in different ways. I could see that being tapped into more. I think I recall Pony being used a fair amount in last year's game by the Colts. And, and uh, you know, it, it makes sense. The, the Ravens now run it that much. The last five games of the year, they probably ran it a little, little less than 10 times. Uh, they ran Pony, but they, uh, they don't do it often. I think the Colts do it more than just about anybody else other than maybe Washington. Yeah, uh, and so. you know they've invested a lot into Taylor and Hines, so it kind of goes back to our roster building thing. And 
And I would call their tight end group just average. I call their wideout group pretty average. So I think it makes sense to use that and, and try to put that threat in the backfield. And they never use a traditional fullback, but they do sometimes line up a, a tight end in the backfield? Yeah, and, and it varies. It can be Granson, 83. It can be 84, Doyle. They had Taylor lined up at fullback on a, on a short yardage hmm. and gave it to him with Hines at the top of the eye. It might have been offset eye. And then they have brought in a linebacker, Matthew Adams, 49 on the goal line before. But, you know, goal to go has been a major issue, Ken. They're, they're 32nd in the NFL. They're 30th in the red zone. Um, I think it's been a poor use of winning in the trenches and, and just not enough one-on-one guys, you know, down there. And just, you know, giving your guys, think players, not plays. Um, you know, obviously when you have a weapon like, you know, the Ravens do a quarterback's a little different. But um, that is something to keep an eye on. Of The Colts have squandered some, some great scoring opportunities. Okay. All right, good to know. Let's move over to the defense, as I know you're limited on time here. Uh, so the, the first thing I always like to hit on is what is the most common uh, pass defense that, the, that they go into? So third and six, third and seven, third and eight, what do they present to an opposing offense? Yeah, the Colts are going to be one of the most zone-heavy schemes in the entire NFL. Um, year in and year out, that's been the staple under Matt Eberflus. And I don't know if they've taken a snap and dime all season long. So expect nickel. I'm um, expect nickel a good amount. Of course, you could say that for just about any NFL team. But I, you know, I'm always curious. And you know, Matt Eberflus, their coordinator, talked about this during the week. You know, Baltimore's one of the few teams in the league they spend a good chunk of time on in the off season, which you know I'm sure a lot of people do with how unique Baltimore is offensively. But you know, it's just that old adage of how do you handle Jackson? Um, but you know, from a pass standpoint, they want to rush four and they want to drop seven. They'll bring Leonard, 53. They'll bring Kenny Moore, 23, mm-hmm. the nickel slot corner. Maybe Kari Wills at safety, but for the most part, they're going to rush four, drop seven, and hope they can win that way. So, show, but rush the four they show, or they have an outside linebacker they trust to drop also and, and bring an inside linebacker for a, a kind of a zone four? Yeah, th- th- that's a good question. I would say uh, they aren't afraid to drop some guys, but I, we're talking big defensive linemen. I mean, not guys that are... You know, don't, don't think of this as a 240-pound outside backer that can run in coverage with somebody. Just think typically a guy that just sits in a zone underneath, and, you know, that's what you hope they do. They don't – you know, they've struggled with their edge rush this year. Um, it, it appeared a little bit more on Sunday, but that's been probably the biggest issue considering they've got a player in DeForest Buckner, D-tackle, who, you know, should command double teams on a de- down-in, down-out basis. Yeah, he's a very dangerous player. Uh, uh, go, going back to the to the pass rush situation, the Ravens have faced a very varied set of defensive schemes. So two of the games, week one and week three, four-man pass rush exclusively. Andy Reid mixed it up entirely, rushed everywhere between three and seven, but it was still more towards less rushers. You're saying the Colts you expect to rush four a lot. Well, Denver and 40 dropbacks, 40 pass plays that ended in a, in a pass or sack 28 five-plus man rushes. They just they went all out. I mean, part of it was really run blitzing when they you don't know what the play is. Just get extra players on the backfield, tight line of scrimmage, and and do it. And honestly, I'd have to say it was pretty effective. Jackson had a good overall day, but the more they rushed, the less effective he was. Including when they rushed seven, he threw for three yards per play. When they rushed six, it was six point one, and you know it was higher than that when he when they were rushing four or five. So I'm really interested to see what other teams do. How whether other teams are going to apply that Denver methodology and and bliss more. But I, I think it probably works to the Ravens' favor if they face more of these um, four-man rushes with very set schemes in the secondary. I think that gives them a chance to beat zone coverage. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the Colts do on Monday. You know, they're very stubborn in their ways, but at the same time, 
Um, as we talked about, they spent a good amount of offseason work on Baltimore, so you could have an ability to put in a pretty unique game plan. And think back to last year's meeting, um, you know, Baltimore was probably pretty fortunate to be as close as they were. I think they were, I think it was a close game at halftime, but they had a big strip fumble uh, that mm-hmm. they returned for a touchdown. You get to the second half, and Lamar Jackson attempts 10 passes and completes all 10. You know, mm-hmm. he, he just he tore up. And it wasn't like super down the field. It was more dink and dunk, but still, um, you know, it was a very methodical way to beat the Colts. But the, they will give you that. Now, mm-hmm. again, what changes do we see? I'd say the biggest worry for the Colts defensively for Monday you know, when they drafted Darius Leonard and Bobby Okereke out of Stanford, the big thing was, all right, both of these guys can run sideline and sideline. And in the AFC at that time, you obviously had Jackson. AFC South, you had Marcus Mariota, Deshaun Watson. The thought was, you know, these are the linebackers you need in today's NFL. If you've watched the Colts through the first four weeks, Darius Leonard is not 100%, hmm. not at all 100%. He had uh, ankle surgery in June. And, you know, on paper, he would be the guy to – quote-unquote spy Lamar Jackson but if I'm Baltimore I'm making sure that Darius Leonard can run um and that's not something you would say if he was healthy but he hasn't been healthy now again what does an extra day of practice do for him this week or an extra day of rest I should say you know that's that's something to keep an eye on but um on paper the Colts have a great defensive tackle tandem really good and Grover Stewart and Buckner yeah linebackers can run but Leonard just hasn't been his same kind of running self okay all right, interesting. We'll look we'll look for that. Take us through, uh, you know, maybe some of the pass rush scheme you talked about, the four-man rush, took positional groups maybe. On the defensive line, uh, you mentioned Stewart and Buckner, of course, and we're familiar with them. How about the rest of the defensive line and how much they rotate in? Yeah, a lot in a big stunting group when you get into pass rush situations. Um, the edge group has been very disappointed. We talked about Quiddy Pay early on, you know, just a rookie that hasn't done much. Um and then has dealt with this hamstring injury. Kamoko Turi, second-round pick from four years ago, uh, had two sacks against Eichenberg, ironically enough, on Sunday. And uh, we've just kind of been waiting for this. Injuries have really hurt him. He's their best pure speed edge rusher, got good bend. Um, 57 is his jersey number there. Uh, but the rest of their edge group, mainly effort guys. Al-Qadid Muhammad, 97. Taekwon Lewis, 94. Guys, especially Lewis, could probably play inside if you needed him to. Um, So it is not a dynamic edge group. Miami's offensive line is horrible, and the Colts are able to kind of get to Brissett a good amount. But if you look at their hit numbers, they're really, really low in quarterback hits. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure, the pass rush plan this week is pretty unique, uh, but I'd say consistent pressure out of that group has not been good. The the run defense has been better here. They actually did a decent job against Henry. He was over 100 but they held him to like four yards per carry, which I think is a win against him. Um, so the run defense has been a staple of consistency. But, you know, as we know, it, it's just a different animal and how unique Baltimore is. Hey, you mentioned a lot of stunting that they like to do. Are there other methods of deception? How they how are they with simulated pressure? Do they regularly do that? Show six, drop to four? Yeah, a, a little bit. Again, not as much as probably other teams, but I think they've done more of that. Um, and the guys to watch out for blitzing 53 Leonard, 23 more blitzing out of the slot and a little bit of 37 Kari Willis, although he's been banged up. So a little safety. bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Safety. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Outstanding. Uh, linebacker you mentioned, so they have th- two almost committed three down linebackers or, or does anybody else get time? Not a lot. You know, they, they, they like to play the four, two, five Leonard and O'Kara K 53 and 58 will not come off the field. Um, the third linebacker, I mentioned Anthony Walker moving on to Cleveland last year. Uh, Zaire Franklin, 44, just think kind of he's your run thumper. 
Um, now, I'm curious this week, you know, considering the speed, considering the lateral stuff, uh, they actually have a linebacker by the name of EJ Speed. Do you put him on the field? He's much more of a uh, high school quarterback, college wideout, think speed, um, has some athletic traits that are similar to Leonard and Okereke, but has really never played much at all. Um, but again, if there's kind of a game where you're like, all right, this is where his skill set fits, it would be uh, it would be Monday night. So 45 for him is his jersey number there. But yeah, that third linebacker is is certainly a weak spot or just an unproven spot. All right, fair enough. Let's go through the secondary. Yeah, you know, at, at corner right now, Xavier Rhodes has really struggled. Um, uh, north of 30 years old, came back on a one-year deal. They really picked on him a lot last week in Miami. Got some, got grabby and gave up some completions. Uh, the other side right now, Rock Yassine was hurt. Um, he's been pretty good, actually, for the Colts this year, although um, he's been really up and down in his career. Um, and then Isaiah Rogers is a young corner, more of a speed corner, 34, didn't tackle too well on Sunday. Is um, he so slot or outside? Uh, he plays outside. I think primarily they'd like to have him inside, but they need him outside right now. Kenny Moore is their slot. He'll slide in inside and really is a, a very good slot corner there. Uh, like I said, they don't do a whole lot of dime, really any dime. So the, the five DBs will be as is. Um, and, and against you know the better passing attacks they've seen so far, they've got torched. Uh, big plays, breakdowns in the secondary. They don't play a lot of coverage. I, I guess I should say that they mostly play zone is probably the better way to say it. But there's times where after plays, they've kind of looked at each other like, who had who? You know, And <laughs> it just seems like a lot of miscommunication breakdown for a defense that brings back so much continuity-wise. So for Leonard and Akarake, the thing I always like to know about opposing linebackers is, do they really understand what's going on between level two and level three? based on the off the what they see at the line of scrimmage pre-snap. So are they good passing lane guys without having to turn around and figure out where people are, uh, or are they kind of limited in that respect? They should be, uh, but they haven't been this year, Ken. I mean, again, when they were drafted, it was because of more pass-happy, more mobile quarterbacks. Like, you know, this these guys should fit, not maybe not in the 80s or 90s at linebacker. I mean, Leonard weighs 218 playing linebacker. Wow. I did not know that. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's <laughs> listed ridiculous. listed at a much higher weight than he is. Um, so that's been a big question mark. Um, so I, I, I would say that's something that Baltimore should try and attack, try and force them to sit in these zones, be, you know, um, be responsible, you know, for their responsibilities mm-hmm. and, you know, see if they can hold up because against – Russell Wilson against Matthew Stafford for sure. And even at times against Tannehill, they were not disciplined at all. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, anything special you expect them to do in terms of defending Jackson, Brown, Andrews, the whole crew? Yeah. I mean, they, they really pride themselves on not giving up anything vertically. Um, obviously against, you know, a guy like, um, like Hollywood Brown, it's a little bit easier said than done. And then certainly the catch last week speaks for itself. I know he's had a couple drops, but um, that'll be something that I would test Indianapolis with, you know, see if those safeties, Julian Blackman and, and whoever plays the other safety, Andrew Sendejo, a veteran filled in last week against mm-hmm. before Kari Willis. Um, so I would test things vertically um, and then just scramble drills. Can you do you plaster? Well, obviously it is a huge, huge component to it. Um, I, I go back to what I said a little bit earlier, Ken, of just, you know, it seems like they've talked a lot about Baltimore and how different they are. And do we see something different? Because if they just think they're going to spy Leonard 
and that's going to be their way to have success. Uh, they're not going to be fooling anybody come Monday night about 10 o'clock. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's something that you got to keep an eye on because Leonard just has not been healthy um, to the point where you would you would expect him to be and, and, and show off kind of that rare speed that he has. Well, Jackson, he's had a few scrambles this year, and I'm not saying that they, they, he hasn't been somewhat effective on the run, but he got banged up in that Denver game, and he's really been hit a lot this year. I, I'm projecting for it. I'm expecting him to run the ball less and be less of a, uh, you know, take less chances in the that level two getting hit. It's, it's, it's funny because as a rookie, they had the pistol option, which made made him really an outside zone read threat. So he was they were basically blocking the edge player there and allowing him to to be the edge threat. Now the the new way they've run it in twenty and twenty one, he's really the the middle threat, and they run out a sidecar and have somebody you know threatening the edge the other way. And it's it's a very dangerous way to use Jackson, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. you know he's he's reasonably adept at it. Pick, give me a Colt that you think lines up or matches up really well with the Ravens. Um, you know, I, I'd probably go to their defensive tackle group. I think Grover Stewart and, and, and DeForest Buckner are a really good pairing in there. Um, Chris Bowers obsessed with them. And, you know, I know Baltimore's been a little bit banged up um, in the trenches. I don't know the status of a guy like Ronnie Stanley. This is probably a little bit more. Yeah, he's not playing. Yeah, okay. He, he's out uh, a little bit more in the interior, but I go back to the stunt stuff. You know, there's times if you look at them against Miami and Buckner lined up out on the edge, I think just to create some opportunities um, where, okay, that guy struggles against a bull rush, you know, something like that. You can try and try and take advantage there. So if the Colts don't win the defensive tackle game and control that part of it, then they might as well just get back on the plane and, and, and come <laughs> home. So I think that's a huge part. And then offensively, you know, I, I do think, you know, when you talk about seam and crossers, can you tap into something with, with the number one Campbell and number 11 Pittman? Um, mm-hmm. Again, different runners, but can be really potent after the catch. And, you know, when I said Carson Wentz has struggled with some accuracy stuff on that underneath stuff, you know, part of it is also just ball placement. You know, you got to hit guys in stride mm-hmm. uh, on, on those routes. It's a huge part of them being schemed up. So, those are weapons that haven't been as utilized in that part of the field as possible. Um, but I think those are a couple names to, uh, to watch. Okay. Outstanding stuff, Kevin. I appreciate you spending as much time as you did here. I know you got a tight schedule. Tell folks one more time, Twitter handle, where they can find your work. Yeah, again, it's at KBowen1070 on Twitter. And then I uh, host the fan morning show here in Indy, uh, 7 to 10 a.m. every morning. So uh, feel free to follow me and you can find all of our stuff over there. You'd probably listen to that show on Audacity if we wanted to during this week, I'm guessing. Yep, dial it up there, certainly. So, yeah, the fan morning show, 7 to 10 a.m. every morning. All right, outstanding. Uh, other folks, if you're looking to be on a Film Study 25 Years pod, looking back at the first 25 years of Ravens history, send me your idea by DM. Very broad, but we're not looking for Mount Rushmore. We're not looking for the 10 greatest Ravens ever. We're looking for, I really like this player, Corey Ivey. I really liked you know, Sam Adams and what he did for the Ravens and how he was special. But we're, we're, uh, we're trying to be specific and narrow. We'd lo- love to have your ideas. Uh, Kevin, thanks again for joining us. Yep. Thanks, Ken. Always enjoy doing this. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. 
Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.